0: Here for this is the word of the lord. And James and John the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, "We are able." And Jesus said to them, "The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which with I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared." And when the ten heard it, they began many. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So far we have embarked on a long journey through the Gospel of St. Mark. And we have finally come to one of the most important revelations besides Jesus' transfiguration. For about two chapters of this letter, Jesus has been teaching his disciples the way of the kingdom, and that it is not how they thought it would be. So far, there have been lots of do's and don'ts. Now, These are what we call the imperatives of Christianity. There have been lots of commands for the disciples. And we wonder, where is the gospel in all this law that Jesus has been giving us? He told us to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. Uh, Then later he told us, if our hand causes us to sin, cut it off. If our foot causes us to sin, cut it off. And if our eye causes us to sin, tear it out. If we were to read those passages in isolation by themselves, without considering the entire context of the gospel we would fall into despair, and rightly so. We would say, that burden is too heavy for me to bear on my own. We would walk away from Jesus sorrowful like the rich man who just realized that he could not save himself. Or we would ask like Peter, then who can be saved? Jesus would respond, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And that's the point. We cannot do any of this on our own. See, Jesus has been teaching them how they are to live as followers of Him. As His followers. He has been teaching them as those who have been called by Him and united to Him. And there is a foundation to the Christian life. And without this foundation, we would have nothing to stand on. In other words, we would have no hope. And that foundation begins with Jesus and what He has done for us. You see, the disciples were much like us. They didn't obey all of His commands all at once, if you haven't noticed. They had to grow into it. When we see the disciples in all of their faults and folly, we are to see ourselves as if we're looking into a mirror. Which one of us wouldn't want to be kings or queens? Which one of us wouldn't love to be served rather than to serve? But this is where the disciples were at this point. So just to recap what we have already gone over, notice there is a big contrast here between what the disciples, James and John, and and the rest of his disciples wanted and what they requested and what Jesus says is the way of discipleship or the way that Christians are to live. Now James and John came from a background of relative privilege, Uh, They worked for their father Zebedee, who owned his own fishing business. Uh, They shared the same trade as Peter. And they would have had a stable uh, financial situation. And they lived a pretty decent life with a decent level of security. Uh, They weren't rich, but they weren't worried about putting food on the table either. And on top of that, they were included in Jesus' inner circle. So, to understand their mindset, they were probably thinking, special status? Security? I can get used to this. I can get used to this. And they wanted more of it. They wanted the seat of honor that comes with power and security. So, they make one of the most self-centered requests known by any of his disciples. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? He asks them this, expecting them to say no. No, we're not able. We're not able because he was to drink the cup of God's wrath and be flooded or overwhelmed with the baptism of God's judgment. The same judgment that is described in the Old Testament that was reserved for the unbelieving nations. And he drinks this cup of wrath not for his own sins because he is without sin, but he drinks it on behalf of others. See, this is something that none of us can do. None of us as sinners are able to drink His cup and take on the judgment. See, James and John couldn't drink the cup or be baptized with His baptism because they were sinners. If they drank the same cup that He drank, they would be facing God's judgment eternally. Eternally. But what did they say? We are able... We are able. What's lack of self-awareness? What lack of self-awareness? But then, listen to his response. He says, in a way, you will. You too will suffer for my sake. And your place was decided prior to creation. Then the disciples were angry at them and Jesus had to interrupt their misplaced hopes to correct their idea of what it means to follow him. They wanted to be enthroned and on top of the world while Jesus taught that they are to live a life of service, sacrifice, and suffering. He said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would... Be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And why is that? Well, we can think of the famous occasion of when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He said to them, "You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So why are we to become servants? He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. Notice, His ultimate mission was at the forefront of His mind. Even when teaching His disciples how they are to become servants. Though the main thrust of this passage is to tell them and the Christians of later generations how they are to live as servants, but also this is the first time He reveals to His disciples the reason behind His own service. The purpose of His mission. So here we have Christ the servant and Christ the ransom. First, Christ the servant. What does it mean? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. (coughs) As we have established before, the Son of Man is the divine human figure of Daniel 7. And in that vision, He is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom with the promise that His kingdom shall not be destroyed. So the disciples may have thought that He was to display His power and establish His kingdom through conquering rather than serving. But what did He do throughout His earthly ministry? What did he do? Jesus displayed his dominion and power through serving others. Through serving others. He began establishing his kingdom with a gospel call and restoring people to their full selves. He, he walked among his people. He healed the sick, restored sight to the blind, cast out demons, granted liberty to the captives. He fed thousands, bread and fish, which he created out of nothing, never mind preaching and teaching, turned water to wine. We can go on and on and on. As John says, and Jesus did many other signs and many other things which are not written in this book. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You see, Jesus had the mind of a servant, though he deserved to be served. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And inherit all that is Christ's. What other riches would we want? But to inherit all that is Christ's. And the Father has given Him everything. Everything is His. In our own country and culture, most jobs that you would apply for and most vocations are considered to be services. Services. When we work, we become servants. You serve and provide a service in exchange for currency. Even those of political or military status are considered to be servants. Now, the difference is, is that those services all require compensation. Even the service of being a minister of the gospel. So sometimes you can get a little cynical and you can ask yourself, well, are there mixed motives here? Why are they serving? Are they serving for a big paycheck? But here, Jesus offered his services without pay. Without pay. Well, for now. For now. Maybe because he owns everything. And also that his pay would come in his vindication when he is risen and vindicated. But this is why Paul says you were bought with a price. Because you were bought with a payment that only Christ could pay. You were bought with a price that you could never pay Him back for. And that is His life. Which leads to the next point. Christ, the ransom. Now Jesus has been teaching His disciples, uh, this is what it looks like to follow Him. But there was still something he had to do to seal the deal. There was something he had to do in order to make that happen. He had to reconcile us to God so that we may follow him. There was the ultimate service he had to fulfill to bridge the gap and lead us back to God. So the question that should be on all of our minds is, What was Jesus' ultimate act of service? In what way did He come to serve ultimately? In Luke 19 it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This was His mission, to seek and to save the lost. But how was He to accomplish this mission? He says, For even the Son of Man came to give His life as a ransom For many, what a high cost that is. There's this idea out there that God is a loving God who freely forgives. He doesn't require any payment or any justice. That God just forgives sinners and he winks his eye at sin. He knows that we're all imperfect. And that he loves us the way we are. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. God does not wink at sin, he cannot wink at sin, he cannot overlook sin. God is holy, and he can't be indifferent toward sin. All sin must be punished. Someone will have to answer for sin. Either you or someone else. As the author of Hebrews says, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Someone will have to pay for sin because our sin demands that justice be served. Just like if someone was to walk in here and punch you in the face. What would you do next besides punch him back? Well, the next thing you would do is call the authorities, bring him to jail, charge this person with assault and battery. Then you would bring him to court for justice. That is the same thing that God does to us at the end of our lives. God, as the judge, is going to bring us to court for justice for the sins we have committed against Him. Now take this one example of this one assault and multiply it by every day of our lives. We sin, we assault, and offend God in our thoughts, words, and deeds. Every single day of our lives, including when we are sleeping. And someone will have to give an account. And someone will have to take on the judgment. Someone will have to be punished for our sins. Now, the question is is it going to be you? Or someone else? worthy of paying that sort of debt. In the Bible, sin is also known as a debt we owe to God. Like in the Lord's Prayer, when we pray in the ESV version, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now the problem with this debt and and the reason we have to ask for forgiveness is that it is too big for us to pay back. We keep incurring more and more debt that we are still responsible for. We incur debt, and this is a slight exaggeration, but we incur debt as often as we breathe, even as Christians. Traditionally in the old world, if you were so deep in debt that you couldn't pay it back, You couldn't just file for bankruptcy. You were thrown in prison or held captive until the debt was paid off. Now that sounds a bit self-defeating because how are you going to work if you're in prison to pay the debt off? Well, that's the point. You can't. You can't pay the debt off because you're a prisoner. Someone else who is able, would have to pay the debt off for you. And who is worthy to pay such a debt off for you? It can't be me or anyone else here, because we're all incurring debt. We're all debtors to God. So who would pay this debt off for you? It is someone who does not owe God this sort of debt. It must be someone without blemish, like the animals of the Old Testament sacrifices that were used for atonement. Who is worthy? There is that vision in Revelation of the Lamb standing before the throne as though it had been slain. And when when He had taken the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb to worship Him. They sang the song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Or as Peter clearly tells Christians who are in exile in this world, you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish. Or spot. Jesus says. That he has come to give his life. As a payment. Or a ransom. For many. That is the difference. Between his service. And ours. He came to serve. In a unique way. That no one else could serve. Either he said. He was going to be. Delivered over, but here he is telling them that he has the authority in himself to give his own life as a ransom. Just as he had the authority in himself to forgive sins earlier in Mark. As he says, according to John, unlike the hired hand, mind you, we're all hired hands, right? We're all hired hands. Unlike the hired hand, I laid down my life Or the sheep. Now we're called to lay down our lives. For one another. But it doesn't have the same effect. On someone's life eternally. That's just an example. We cannot lay our lives down. The way Jesus laid his life down. And this is how the forgiveness of our sins is sealed. It is sealed in his ransom on our behalf. But what is a ransom? What is a ransom? A ransom is the holding or freeing of a prisoner in return for a payment. The prisoner owes a debt he can't pay, so someone would have to pay a ransom. And who are the many prisoners? Well, we are. We are imprisoned. But how are we imprisoned? We are imprisoned or enslaved by sin. So when he laid down his life, he gave us freedom. Paul says to the Galatians that he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. With the ransom of his life, he freed us, and I'm summarizing, from the bondage of sin, Satan, death, Hell, and we are now freed from our alienation from God. We are now freed to be with God. He stood in our place and He has given us freedom to serve God and to serve our neighbors. Now, many have taught that this ransom was paid to Satan as if Satan owned anything, right? As if Satan actually owns us. Yes, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But he doesn't own anyone. He, he owns nothing. He, even when he acted like he does, did, uh, like when he offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world. He doesn't own the kingdoms of the world. Now, Satan is more like a bailiff. Who holds the prisoner captive until the judge calls the prisoner into the courtroom for judgment. That's all he is. He's a bailiff who does the judge's bidding. God owns everything. God owns us. He owns us in many different ways. One of those ways is that he owns all people. He owns all of creation by virtue of him being their creator including unbelievers. So what that means is, we owe a debt to God. So the ransom that He paid was a ransom to God, His Father. God the Father accepts what Christ has done on our behalf. And so from this point forward, He owns us by the redemption that Christ paid for and we have a seal or what we call a guarantee of this inheritance in the Holy Spirit. He owns us now as a redeemer. Now when we study the Bible, we must be careful of a trap. And this trap is, says something along the lines that uh, because something is rarely mentioned... It must be not that important. We know that if something is repetitive, we know that it is important. But just because something is spoken of rarely, it doesn't mean that it is not important, especially when coming from the mouth of Jesus. Though Jesus speaks of his death three times before this, he never mentioned the reason as to why he was to die. He only mentions the reason why he is to die twice in all of the Gospel of St. Mark. Twice. Here, and secondly, when he institutes the Lord's Supper, when he says, Take, this is my body, which is broken for you, and this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And this becomes... Central to his mission more than any other act of service. This becomes central to the rest of the letters of the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters, like when he said that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, or when he told the Galatians who were following false teaching regarding how they are to be saved, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This was central to his mission. And this is a central doctrine to the Christian life. People people often say, well, Jesus did a lot more than die on the cross. But this was his ultimate act of service. This was his whole point of being here. Was to die as a ransom for us. And this is what we call the doctrine of atonement that Christ gave up his life as a ransom and he took our place as an atonement for sin. Atonement is a reparation for a wrong or injury. To say that this doctrine is not taught in the scripture is to ignore scripture's testimony. The letter that explains this the most and teaches us what the Old Testament sacrificial system was really about is the letter of Hebrews. It is written throughout that Jesus died once for all. This is repeated throughout the letter. It says, He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for His own sins and then for those of the people, since He did this once for all when He offered up Himself we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. And from the passage I read from earlier concerning the judgment, this is why you should always read a passage in its context, right? It says this, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, notice it doesn't end there, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Meaning, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The ransom has been paid and the condemning judgment no longer applies to believers. The case against you has been settled at the cross. Your forgiveness is sealed. And this is all out of God's love for us. This is all out of his love. Because the love of God for His people is best expressed at the cross. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Now, when we read that, we often think that, oh yes, He gave His Son to come and live in this world. To become incarnate in this world. No, He didn't give His Son just to live among us. But He gave His only Son to die as a ransom for the many This ransom that Jesus pays to God is vital for the Christian. Notice where Jesus is heading to at this moment. He is heading to Jerusalem for what? For Passover. So that God would pass over our sins. That we would not be judged for our sins. That we would put the blood on the lintel in the doorposts. So that God would pass over us in the judgment. And that He will treat us as Christ Himself. Folks, that is the only way to heaven. That is the only way to glory. That is the only way through the gates. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. It is the foundation, as as I mentioned earlier, for the Christian life. Without this foundation, there is no Christian life. There is no Christian at all without this ransom. It is the foundation that all of our good works and our repentance is built upon. It's like when you pay your bills. Uh, Do you remember when you used to go to the actual place of business to pay your bills? That's no longer the case. Now you have to pay it online or on your smartphone. Um, But it's a good feeling when you pay your bills and you go and look to see. You know, sometimes you forget and you got to go back and you see that the bill has been paid. Those words there are written right beside where you pay that bill, where, where the history is. It says paid. Well, Jesus has paid the debt that we owe to God, and God's wrath has been satisfied once and for all. And the difference is between us paying our bills and Jesus paying our bills for us is that it is not a recurring bill. Meaning next month you're not going to get another bill. It's been paid. Once and for all. All accounts are settled. And you are free. Because the judge has set you free. Any case that has been brought against you. Is gone. So if you are in despair this morning. Over your sins. Whether present. Or past. Remember we can never. Never. Out-sin the grace and love of Christ at the cross. We can never out-sin the grace of Christ. His grace is much larger. His grace is immeasurable at the cross. The debt that we owe, though to us is infinite, infinite, Christ's grace at the cross is much more infinite. Because it is actually infinite. God can count all our sins. And there's a limit to it. But there is no limit to what Christ has done for us. Now if you're not convinced of your sin. If you're not convinced that you are a sinner in need of Christ. Are you ready to pay the penalty that is due? Are you ready to pay the penalty? And if not, I plead with you to lay all of your burden and all of your sin at the cross. For that is the only way that you would be able to pay that debt. And it's not you that pays it. It's Christ that paid it. That is the only application I have for you today. So I plead with you that you would let that settle and live in light of that declaration. Because we can be much like James and John, demanding of God with sinful pride while ignoring all that God has already done for us. Let us sit with this today and the rest of the week. Let us pray.